Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Africast. My name is Brendan Lotz, and joining me as always is Robin Lee Chessy. Howdy. And Louis Monzon. Hey, what's up? Uh, you guys having a good week? Good short week? Yes, a lot of them this month are looking forward to it. Yeah, and also joining yeah. it, I guess. To the long weekend. To <laughs> the long weekend. Uh, we are currently on leave today for... Uh, it's family day today, right? Uh, good, oh, Friday. good Friday. Good, good Friday. Friday, of course. Good Friday can't be on Monday, Brendan. Um, but we are we are away today. But we're still bringing you the Africast. Um, unfortunately, uh, it's not going to be good news. I'm going to give you a heads up right here. Um, the main topics of discussion this week, and we're going to ju- jump straight into them, uh, starting with ESCOM. Um, so this week, there was a lot of controversy around ESCOM, and it actually started last week, Friday. Uh, and that's because uh, Finance Minister Inok Gorongwana uh published a gazette or, or yeah published a gazette uh, which effectively gave escom permission to withhold disclosure of irregular expenditure and fruitless spending from its financial statements uh, let's just go around the room yeah. good idea bad idea robin good idea bad idea uh, i'm gonna go down and let me and say bad louis i uh, i i can imagine like uh, police sirens going off <laughs> like this no definitely a bad idea and uh obviously government didn't see this happening because it pushed through with it uh the national treasury went so far as to try and justify it saying that disclosing that information risks uh triggering loan covenants which quote will likely further increase ESCOM's cost of borrowing and may result in additional fiscal pressure from ESCOM's debt burden should the entity be unable to negotiate lender waivers for these covenants. Essentially, um, that declaring that there was uh, uh, irregular expenditure and fruitless spending would have maybe gotten the the folks that have lent ESCOM money coming, hi, can we get our money back, please? because that's unreasonable, you know. Um, anyway, so uh, on Wednesday, uh, the finance minister came back and decided to turn around and say, no, we're, uh, we're withdrawing this. Um, the Gazette has been reversed. Uh, finance Minister Gorongwana said yesterday, we had intensive discussions with the Auditor General, and in that discussion, there were some contributions from the AG that needed to be part of the framing of the Gazette. In light of these comments and comments from the public, we have decided to withdraw the Gazette for now and have more detailed discussions with the AG and the auditors of ESCOM so that the framing is proper and the checks and balances are tightened. Um, so that's an end to that. Um, what did you guys think of this? Did you, did you, because from my perspective, I kind of felt like this was obvious that this just gave ESCOM scope to kind of hide corruption. Um, of course, they would still have to disclose it in the annual report, um, but not putting it in your financial statements is very different because, for instance, in your annual report, you could literally just say there was one million rands worth of uh, irregular spending and then move on. Um, but what did you guys think when you heard this news initially? Robin, let's start with you. Um, yeah, it was both surprising and expected. Uh, surprising in the fact that... Uh, it was, it was almost a little bit brazen mm. uh, how this was kind of announced. And as you mentioned, uh, there were uh, lots of cries as regards uh, what this means as far as corruption is concerned. But uh, at the same time, uh, we already know that this, the, our electricity minister doesn't believe that there is any corruption in ESCOM, which is baffling considering that former CEO, uh, 
Mr. Eta, yeah, uh, fingered a lot of people in in, in terms of uh, corruption, and singled out quite a bit of it uh, as he was departing uh, the power utility. So you have, I guess, one person saying that the the corruption is rife at the organization, and the other saying that no, it's not that; it's just technical problems. So yeah, it. It, uh, it did not paint a great picture as far as yeah. ESCOM and government are concerned. Louis? I think it speaks to a deep-seated tomfoolery <laughs> <laughs> of, like, come on. So you make this big announcement, and then basically what the, what the minister, what the finance minister said was, um, okay, we didn't think it out properly. Yeah. You know? So not only do you get, you know, all the media involved, and everyone is kind of like, what what's going on in ESCOM with this? But... You, you kind of admit that you have no idea what you're doing, first yeah. of all. Um, why did ESCOM even... Why, why was the whole thing even put in, in as a plan in the first place? Why does ESCOM now not... Is because they don't want to... They don't want to trigger... So essentially it boils down to they don't want their creditors yeah. to like, oh, well, there was increased malfeasance at mm-hmm. the utility. Um, we want our money back because it's clearly not coming back but then you know what that sort of idea it's kind of shady and, and like to begin with yeah absolutely know? absolutely and so what's like the minister said oh it's, it's only going to be put off the table for now I mean later also the, he, the, um, the gazette outlined for three years um, which is too long in my opinion yeah. um, because we know we all know thanks to State Capture and the Zondo Commission, um, as well as the reporting from South Africa's uh, media fraternity. But we know that there is deep-seated corruption at government institutions. Yeah. To s- turn around and say to one of these institutions, you don't need to report um, irregular spending and malfeasance. You don't need to report that. Uh, who came up with this idea? How does government think that citizens who are demanding answers who are sitting in the dark in stage four load shedding are just going to be okay with this nonsense come now guys even further than that it is kind of almost grossly negligent because we don't to take corruption out of the equation if you are essentially allowing escom free reign to spend as they see fit yeah they fall further into the hole Mm -hmm. and south african citizens are the ones that have to bail them out essentially so Sure, um, as much as just the minister wants to say that there's no corruption, everything's technical. You are giving money essentially to a company that is already so indebted. Yeah. How? <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. It baffles, so, baffles the mind. Yeah, sh- surely it should be the opposite, right? ESCOM should be trying hard to you know, shed more light on its books. Yeah. So that everyone can see actually they're doing their job properly. Transparency should be like key. So one of the things that like I kind of found odd was last night or sorry, on Wednesday evening, we got an outlook over the demand at ESCOM, uh, the power demands, which yeah. is something that hasn't happened in like a good couple of weeks. Um, and it, it just speaks to how fragmented things are with not just within ESCOM, but within governments as well. Um, because while uh, Enoch Gorongwana was making this announcement, um, meanwhile, in the back of the ranch, the state of disaster was being ended. Uh, and that was due to legal challenges by the likes of the organization undoing tax abuse, ALTA, as well as trade union solidarity. Uh, but you wouldn't know it from uh, Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, Tembi Nkade 
Karimeng, uh, who in a statement to SA News said, our decision, our decision to terminate this national state of disaster is motivated by the fact that the number of measures that have been taken to achieve the drift on to achieve the objectives on relieving the impact have been able to assist in getting our systems and processes in place to ensure that government is ready to deal with the challenges. That's, a, that, that's rubbish. Government didn't decide. It was the courts that decided that, hey, your declaration of a state of disaster is guff. Yeah. Also, do you expect people to believe that you guys sort out the problems in a month? A month. And when it took them nearly a month to publish the regulations, yeah. Um, I, I, what is this clown fiesta? Yeah. What is this? It's definitely circus vibes. Like, it, it just boggles the mind. And then you have the finance minister making one uh, statement in a media briefing while government is reading another media statement to say, well, the state of disaster is over. What what has even been accomplished in this last two months? Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, we're in you know rotating stage three, stage four power cuts. Yeah. I mean, like we can see that nothing has changed. I mean, we're we're getting. Uh, I I mean, I just wrote up the the load shedding schedule for the weekend. We're getting you know a few hours of of load shedding suspended on Sunday and Monday. But I mean, it's going back to stage three on Tuesday. Like, yeah. like okay, you fixed the problem, really? No, you haven't, because you just. So essentially, what I feel is happening is we're mitigating the damage during the weekend because there's less demand, yeah. so they can on afford the on to holidays, yeah. use those open cycle gas turbines, ramp up that usage, and then when when uh, the economy reopens on Tuesday and businesses have to go back to work, it's oh, sorry, you got to deal with stage six load shedding now. Mm. Good luck with that. Why not save that capacity? I mean, we're, we're stuck in stage three, stage four. I, as a South African, have kind of just accepted it. Deal with the power cuts when they happen. It's not nice. But, I mean, the the fact that when you have no load shedding then, it's just, does it even matter anymore? I mean, it's nice, sure, to have continuous uninterrupted power. But if that means that we're going to go to a higher stage of load shedding the next day, I'd rather we just stick at stage three and four. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of South Africans feel that right now. It's just the frustration has boiled over. And I do wonder if the contention to this, uh, the announcement of the state of disaster has any, would have changed had uh, not been through a fairly lengthy state of disaster under the pandemic. Yeah. I think... People grew extremely frustrated in that period. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the reason why so many of these organizations uh, took government to courts over this. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, think that it, I think it has to be right, given what happened back then. But what, I think the difference here, though, is that there, were, there was dis- demonstrable um, measures that government could take that were already part of our constitution, that were already part of its playbook, uh, without having to implement a national state of disaster. Whereas something like COVID was like, I mean, when was the last time y'all uh, experienced a, a pandemic disease? True. I can't remember. Yeah. True. In my lifetime. So I think that that, that that was a different matter altogether, whereas this time around it was, but I mean, you have this in place, you have this in place, you have this in place. There are vehicles for you to use to get across what you need to be done. I mean, in terms of like what was done in terms of the uh, state of disaster regulations, there was very little there compared to if we look back to during COVID-19, 2020, those those restrictions and those regulations. Um, it was very, very little. I am curious to know now whether the, uh, the incentive for solar, I guess that's going away because that was 
part of the national state of disaster, I'm assuming. So, yeah, um, uh, speaking on that, um, the government, uh, out, they like in the in their kind of the statement to, to SA News, they said uh, the minister um, for corporate governance said, okay, all of the measures will be repealed. Mm -hmm. And then near the bottom of the article, uh, they kind of mentioned that actually some of them will be kind of kept on. Okay. okay. They don't say which or which. Some of them will be kept on as part of um, as part of I quote existing legislation. So I mean they haven't really said which are going to be kept on. Are they going to keep the resource mobilization fund that the Minister of Electricity kind of launched um, in February as part of kind of a, a to make more money available for ESCOM? Yeah, because also the. Uh Subsidy for solar power that was yeah. announced as part of the medium term or the the budget. Sorry, not the medium term budget. The budget, um, but that was brought about by the state of disaster. Yeah. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm um, also the uh, the exemption of Kusile power station to take off the desulfurization oh. um, on their generating units. But is that going to be kept? No, on? no. So that that's interesting because there were there was a, a statement within the regulation saying that um, once the state of disaster is over, those some of those can remain in place. Uh -huh. So I would think, and I stand to be corrected, that the bypassing of the flu desulfurization unit at Kusile. Um, it could potentially carry on. It could go through, but we'll have to wait the and thing, see. Yeah, the thing is we don't know. The government needs a better PR team. I'm saying this now. Somebody, some good PR company, there's lots of you in this country. I'm sure some of you are even listening to this. Please approach government and to do their public relations for them because it's clear that they need a unified message. They need somebody to hold their hand and say, okay, guys, what are we talking about today? And then everybody can contribute from there on. But Right now, things are just, it, it's a clown fiesta. Yeah, I think it's like to bring, not to bring it even worse and, and make it more negative and more dour. Like, uh, what, it's kind of like, a, what, what is this, what, what is this month of the state of disaster kind of brought us? You know, I mean, after so much time and effort and creation of a minister and all the, only in, you kind of repeal it and you say, actually, none of this is going to matter anymore. And like, okay, has, like, if they've given up, should we give up? Should like, we just be trying to build resilience in terms of our power usage and our power needs as citizens? Because Have we not already been doing that, I guess? I mean, we have to an extent, but is it time to ramp that up? Because, I mean, if governments is turning around saying, oh, well, you know, well... Well, they're, well, they're saying that not even going to fight it in court. They're saying the problem is fixed, and I, they can't fight it in court. I, they're not fighting it in court because they can't. I think, yeah. Well, know? I mean, the problem definitely hasn't been fixed. I mean, uh, prior to the national shutdown uh, protests, the what they said the capacity had returned to about sixty. Seventy percent. See, not even not we're not even close to a hundred percent. So, to my mind, the the, the problem has, is nowhere near to being fixed. So yeah, um, I'm really just at a loss. We're going to have to wait for government to give us some sort of clear indication of what happens next. Um, the Minister of Electricity on Thursday uh, briefed media on his visits to the 18 power stations. Um, I'm not sure whether anything of value is going to come from that. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's a bad time, man. It's not a nice feeling going into uh, the long weekend. Uh, with this feeling of dread and not really knowing where we go to from here. Um, yeah, the worst yeah. thing. The worst thing is the whole 
you know, ESCOM can say what they want and they and they can publish the, the schedules and all that stuff, but, you know, if they have a few breakdowns that are unplanned, it, it's all going... Yeah, it all goes... I mean, especially over winter where we know that demand has increased. Yeah, um, yeah well, what is the phrase I use again? What do they call it? A maintenance festival. Yeah, there we go. Um, which makes sense because it's easier to cool down power stations during the colder months. Um, uh, but... And power stations also aren't as susceptible to higher ambient temperatures, yeah. but but I mean the, that scenario, the, the, that festival, yeah, as term it, is when things are good. Yeah, because then you, can, then you can have maintenance festivals. Yeah, because people are like people are around, you know, people are willing to work because there's or there's I mean if something trips at a power station where there's a team that's working, oh, quick fix. Yeah, but for the rest of the year it's not. Um, yeah, uh, we'll have a full, or we'll have links to everything we've discussed as well as the uh, load shedding schedule, which you can find on hypertexthcc.ca.ca. Um, let's move over to something. I was about to say something happier, but it's not happier um, because Twitter, man, what is happening at Twitter? Louis, maybe you can start us off with um, Doge.com or yeah, yeah I don't know uh, what to call if it. You, if, you, if you go to a social media platform, Twitter, with its you know millions upon millions of users, immediately you will be greeted by a loading screen featuring the 2013 meme Doge. <laughs> um, so I don't know. We woke up. So April, April 1st, April Fools. Um, it wasn't even on April 1st. That, that, that's the, that's, that's the, the worst part. That's the worst part, yeah. So two days after April 1st, so on the 3rd, uh, randomly, uh, uh, some people say it's it's part of the April Fool's joke. Some people say, it's, you know, you know, Musk just had it done because he can. You know, he owns the platform. He's a chief twit. Um, the, the iconic bird logo of Twitter was changed to the meme of the Doge that was... Um, funny uh, when I was in high school uh, so that was a long time ago I, 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 sorry I think funny is being a bit generous it got a it got a snort okay um, it got a snort out of Brendan a few years ago and now it is the the logo for Twitter randomly um, while it seems who like could, sorry who could sorry to interrupt you who created that meme because surely if I'm that person, I'm getting litigious, just to spite uh, Elon Musk. I don't know. Uh, uh, who? I'm sure it, it just uh, it manifested on 4chan. Yeah. A random Sunday, you know, like most other memes um, during that time. Um, and it, uh, it actually comes from Elon Musk tweeted uh, in 2021, I think. Um, that uh, it's just, uh, he was talking to his followers, you know, his, his fans, and one of them said, why don't you just buy Twitter and replace the logo with the Doge? And then, and then Elon Musk tweeted back, yeah, that would be sick. And he put a bunch of Ks at the end of sick. And, uh, and uh, you know what? He finally did it. He finally lived up. He spent $40 billion to, to just to make that tweet a, a possibility. Um, while, while the... Forget about all the other things that are going wrong with Twitter, the verification problems and the, you know, the, the Twitter blue and the amount of money that organizations will now have to pay. Let's just talk about that quickly. Let's talk about Twitter blue because on 1st of April, apparently verification, legacy verification was going yeah. to be gone. Um, but come 1st of April, it was still there. 
Come 2nd of April, it was still there. Come 3rd of April, however, people started to notice that there was something weird. Um, the blue check marks were still around, uh, but now it would say that uh, the account was verified either through Twitter Blue or because the accounts may have been notable in the past. Um, which is a bit odd because... Where's the distinction? Yeah, there is no distinction Because it's now. important. It is very important. It's very, very important to know whether somebody paid Elon Musk the $8, $11 if you're on iOS or Android, um, to access Twitter Blue or if they were part of the deeply corrupt system that was previously in place. How the system is corrupt, we still don't know. I'm sure people were paying for verification. Can you believe that, guys? Paying to be verified on Twitter. Well, Who would do such what a, a thing? World we live anyway, um, on at the weekend last weekend, a couple of celebrities started to say, "Well, we're not going to pay it," uh, including LeBron James. Um, the New York Times also apparently said that it would not pay for verification, um, and it is so far the only legacy or legacy verified account to lose its check mark. Um, we're not sure whether this is because of Elon Musk having a vendetta against the New York Times um, or if uh, the, the, ver the removal of verification goes incredibly slowly. Uh, but since we published this story, I've done a bit of reading about this. And uh, a couple of publications have reported that folks who signed up for Twitter Blue and then canceled their subscription, i.e. no longer paid the, the, the subscription fee, still have their verification marks and still can't do things like change their profile picture or that sort of stuff. They don't have access to the Twitter Blue features, but they still have the verification um, and the restrictions that go along with that verification, which is very, very weird. Um, I also saw some unverified reports, I need to say this is unverified, from people who claim to have worked on the previous verification system, who say that the system is pretty much held together with spit and duct tape, um, and that trying to mass remove verification would cause the entire system to collapse. So that's not verified, that's just a, a hearsay from what I've seen on Okay, so based on that hearsay, if, so the verification is being removed slowly, basically. Not at all. At this point in time, so, it's literally a point of you have to go to an account yeah. and manually unverify it. Like okay. it's something that you have to go and intentionally do. So there's no such thing as mass mass unverification. Doesn't seem like it, and that makes sense because it's not a system where you would need to mass unverify everybody right. all at once, right? In the old system, verification was used to say, "Hey, I am actually." Um, Eli Lilly, yeah. not hi. I'm actually Eli Lilly posing as somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the the system wasn't designed for mass influx of people, and that also means that it's unlikely to be removable even. Because why would you remove Donald Trump's checkmark? Why would you remove Dua Lipa's checkmark? Like it makes no sense yeah. unless they did something incredibly horrible which in any case you would still want them to keep their verification mark yeah. so that you know it's that real person exactly it's about verifi verifying who they are it's not about you know what they're doing exactly it's just a status symbol not anything else and that makes this whole thing so much weirder 
further to that, um, it's also been reported that uh, the 500 biggest advertisers on the platform will receive free verification from Twitter, which is worth 1,000 US dollars at a start. Um, so 500 biggest advertisers won't have to pay for verification, which again makes sense. And it was also the reason that verification worked in the previous instance, because it gave celebrities a reason to bring their audience to that platform. Same as how Drake brought a whole bunch of kids to Twitch to watch him play with, uh, watch him play Fortnite with Ninja. Um, bringing celebrities to Twitter helps bring more users, helps advertising, etc., etc. Can't believe that we have to go over Business 101 for Musk. Further to that, man, this just keeps going. On Friday last week, Elon Musk made the uh, source code for Twitter's recommendation algorithm public. Uh, did you guys have a look at that? I did. A, a brief, a brief look. It was a, it was an interesting read. It was very interesting. Um, it highlighted four groups on how Twitter boosts recommendations to users, um, and that is based off of the following four groups: power user, which is somebody that uses like Twitter Blue, somebody who's on for X amount of hours a day. Right. Um, Republican, Democrats, and Elon. Um, so what these for is these tweets were, um, these, these groups were used as a sort of yardstick um, and that if anything, any change to Twitter negatively affected one of these four groups, the change would not be pushed out. So essentially if um, NFT profile pictures started to hurt uh, people who were Democrats or tweets that were labeled Democrats, they wouldn't push that out. Obviously, that was a terrible example, but that, that's how it was used. Uh, so what we can infer from this is that if something, something, a decision was made that hurt Elon Musk... Um, his reach, right? Yeah, the his reach. The amount of people that yeah, see yeah, his yeah. tweets. Yeah, yeah. Then uh, that push wouldn't go through, which is really weird because apparently Elon said that his tweets weren't being boosted, you know, around about the World Cup. When yeah, he did. So for all intents and purposes, Elon Musk has self-reported. Yes, pretty much, by showing off the uh, algorithm. So now this algorithm has been adapted, and they said that they would update it every, two to th or every two-ish days um, based off of what the public says. Don't understand how that works. It's a really weird way to push changes in production. But anyway, um, especially given that I think that like the mo large majority of Twitter users have no idea what that algorithm means, yeah. and I'm putting myself in that category there. Like, I was joking about having a read of it last week. I, I don't understand it. It's all computer code. Right. There was some... Uh, I, I also barely understood it. I did read an interesting Twitter thread um, that was kind of like uh, condensing what the code was. One of the things that kind of stood out for me is that uh, apart from the fact that certain accounts that Twitter kind of believes are similar are linked together, like... Um, I saw that like uh, musicians are linked together. Like Lady Gaga would be with, in in kind of a similar reach. Like Katy Perry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, apart from that, apparently Twitter reach is also kind of if you start um, tweeting outside of your certain circle, mm. your reach decreases. Yeah. So it's kind of the Twitter kind of wants to keep um, that bubble, you know, the Which user bubble going. Goes against the idea of the for you page entirely. Because the For You page is meant to show you stuff outside of your bubble, try to get you to push outside of your bubble. But if the algorithm is trying to keep you in that bubble, it's kind of at odds with each other, right? Right. Well, that, the, I imagine the algorithm was kind of developed before Musk joined, yeah, before absolutely. the For You yeah. page was a thing. 
So it's kind of like new Twitter is having a war against old Twitter. Yeah. And the algorithm is kind of in the middle there, stuck there. Too, too, too complex to kind of change completely. So they're kind of iterating little things here and there. That's what I imagine. Yeah, that's how I'm seeing it as well. I'm kind of seeing it as there's years of uh, code that's been put in there to make things yeah. work. And Musk came in like a steamroller. And now there's, yeah, I, I don't actually even know. what what gets me about verification even more though is um the fee that needs to be paid for organizations so now if you're an organization you can have your employees affiliated with an account so that they don't need to pay for verification so if you have like microsoft and they have support employees that right. need to reach out to other users um which i think that is actually a pretty cool um yeah, a pretty cool feature although the way i would use it maybe not like having the way i imagined it would be used is that you could have your employees reach out to customers on their own personal Twitter accounts um, and the customer would know that they were affiliated with that company but that could just get messy mm -hmm. yeah that can get very very I mean especially when people are have been for years retweets are not an endorsement these are not the opinions of my employer um, but yeah uh, so so that I think is a genuinely cool feature but it also just feels like very the old verification with extra steps now and extra cost much which, more costs yeah so um it's in south africa the because it's rolled out all over the world at the same time in south africa to get uh, your organization verified and to get the extra um uh, you know you apparently it's like a, a portal that you pay for and uh, you, you pay for a subscription you get a portal you can verify other accounts etc uh, it's over eighteen thousand rand a month um, so obviously you need to be quite a large organization. That's a that's a about a salary. When we spoke yeah. about the office, that's about a salary and a full a full monthly salary of an, of one employee every month. Um, I mean, your business really has to rely on Twitter. You yeah. Know, to kind of outweigh the costs with with that. But here's the problem, though, is that like a lot of organizations already have the check mark. They've already verified, given the legacy system is still in place. Um, so, like for instance, Escom is marked as a, um, a verified entity on on Twitter. Um, but whether that's something that it purchased, I doubt very much. Eighteen thousand rand when the economy keeps the lights on. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it's just it's a, it's a complete mess, and it has created more confusion than ever. I, I had to laugh uh, at a tweet that Elon Musk uh, published at the weekend, um, saying something like, uh, "Freedom, uh, it's a, uh, freedom has a small price." I'm like, "Do you? Oh wait, here we go. Seven dollars is a small price for freedom." Wait, hold on a minute. This is the same dude that was talking about lords and peasants. Yes. Uh, town squares. Town yes. And democracy and all that other stuff, free speech. I just don't it's, understand. It's, the platform has become paid to play. I don't understand how you can, with a straight face, say $7 is a small price to pay for freedom. Like, how does your brain not I'm, melt at that statement? I think he knows what he's doing. I mean, obviously it's not a free, it's like Robin said, it's, it's, it's pay to play. Yeah. Especially with, you know, with Twitter Blue and that stuff. Um, and uh, he can, it's, he's marketing it as freedom for his followers, and I suppose it's, it's working for him. You, if you look at his, um, his, his comments, most of them are random accounts, and they all have blue check marks. So, you know, that's what? working. I mean, Cat Turd 2 is a random <laughs> account? <laughs> 
You mean he's not a verified uh, legacy, you know, important political figure? No, he's not. Um, but yeah. Uh, First name string of numbers with one follower is not an important person, Louis. I know, but they're paying that Twitter blue, you know? I guess it's important in that regard. Hey, look, if you want to waste $8 on the worst set of features I've ever seen in my life, I mean, you don't even get advertising removed at this point. I not mean, even like half of it. Uh, because that's listed as a feature as coming soon. Oh, yeah. And it has been since launch. Coming soon. Is editing even a thing? Or is, is that still coming soon? Uh, no, that's still something. You can edit up to five times within 30 minutes. Wow. You can um, see approximately twice as many tweets between ads. Post longer videos and 1080p video uploads. That, you know, I don't think I've seen a single person do this, by the way. Thank God for TweetDeck. It's still, it's still up and running in some. For now. For, yeah, for now. For now. Once TweetDeck, like I think you said so several times uh, in the office, once yeah. TweetDeck is gone, I will not be visiting Twitter. And at why all. do we say that? Because TweetDeck is like the simplest way of seeing, t- like, number one, various accounts at a glance, managing various accounts, and more importantly, you don't see any of the ads. Yes. Not even the promoted uh, content on Twitter, do you see? So. Yeah, once Twitter, once TweetDeck is gone, I think that's my time on Twitter gone too, to be honest. Uh, Auf Yeah. Um, does anybody have anything else that they want to add yes, about Twitter? Yes, I do. Yes. All right, so we're going to go back to the Doge, <laughs> the great Doge. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the other thing that came from uh, he, at Elon Musk... Uh, putting the Doge as the kind of the icon of Twitter, which mm. you know, still a few days later, it's still there. Yeah. And every time I see it, I'm like, it gives me conniptions. <laughs> um, but it, it, uh, it, Elon Musk. I mean, anyone who follows Elon Musk has known for a while now that he's very vocal, at least on Twitter, um, about the smaller cryptocurrency Dogecoin. I like how you called the smaller cryptocurrency. But yeah, carry on. It's, it is a very tiny, small. It's one of the you know peripheral. So in, in crypto, there's only one cryptocurrency really is Bitcoin, and then everything else kind of is kind of measured around there. Yeah. Um, and then you get thousands of very small tokens. One of them is Dogecoin. Um, it is among the more famous tokens because Elon Musk he he likes it because of the meme because yeah. he considers himself funny. And uh, and <laughs> he's it, a meme lord. Isn't it, he yeah, he's a meme himself? lord. He calls himself a meme lord. Um, and he was. Um, so when he put the Doge as the the Twitter logo, I mean this 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 story is is you know wow. it's amazing. Um, Doge the Dogecoin exploded, it skyrocketed like it had a, a, a revival. Yeah, it went all the way up to one rand seventy two cent per Doge coin. It's incredible. Um, and it, it fell again. It's right now it's at one sixty two uh, per Doge. Um, I mean that's a decent gain though. What was it, it was beforehand? 30%, it was 30% gain. Yeah, that's, that's not bad. It's not, it's not the biggest Dogecoin gain. Um, the biggest one was in 2021. Um, Elon Musk, in his, in his famous uh, SNL uh, skit, where he's dressed as Wario and he's eating eggs and stuff. <laughs> uh, he mentioned Dogecoin. He had like a, a tease of Dogecoin. And it just it exploded. It went all the way to the moon. Um, so this was the Twitter stunt was a lesser pump for Doge. Um, uh, the thing that kind of is concerning here is that right now, Elon Musk and his legal team are facing a $258 million racketeering lawsuit alleging that he is uh, 
his tweets and his kind of his comments and his jokes about Dogecoin are, um, you know, it's it's kind of manipulating the market around Doge. Um, okay, all right. Like, I don't mean to defend Elon Musk. Is but there a market around Doge? Uh, yeah, first off. Secondly, I mean, if you are taking like advice from Elon Musk, if you're buying Doge on Elon Musk's advice. It was a 30% increase, Brendan. I mean, 30%. There's people who started buying it because of the, the Doge token. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, that's also because it's crazy inexpensive. Yeah, but also, is it malicious though? It, like, if he's maliciously getting people to invest, I think, like, if you're investing in Dogecoin based off of Elon Musk changing the Twitter logo to. Shiba in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's more weight to what he was doing with Tesla stock. Than, yeah, than I think that's that's better. Like you're going private for twenty, you know. Like, I think there there's reasonable there's reasonable suspicion for them to investigate whether they find anything is another point. But I mean, jokes I about mean, Doge. Have well, you, you seen his jokes? About, you, they're not even funny. If you kind of, I mean, I'll, I'll think I'll put it this way. Um, apparently, this is according to Reuters, who are uh, quoting one of Elon Musk's lawyers. Um, Dogecoin is a legitimate cryptocurrency that continues to hold a market cap of nearly $10 billion. You know, there's some money there, apparently. I mean, I understand what you guys are saying. Like, according to what I'm seeing, like, Dogecoin is very small, tiny, 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 you know? Apparently, there's money there, actual, real money that can affect people's lives. Um, And Elon Musk's, you know, him tweeting out Dogecoin rules... And no highs, no lows, only Doge. You know. <laughs> I mean, can you can you sue someone for that? I, I mean, they're clearly trying. Indeed, like, I don't know if no highs, no lows, only Doge is considered manipulating the market. Yeah, definitely not something I would imagine reading on Reuters, but I did. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I can't. I I can't believe this is what we're, what what the world has been reduced to a billionaire, and a very small crypto token. Yeah, and 400 million plus people on Twitter having to see it every day. Man, it's it's good to be alive. It's it's good to be. I feel like I'm in a fever dream actually. <laughs> Man. Who would have thought this is where we'd be after a global pandemic? No electricity, and when we do have electricity, we've got to listen to a billionaire talk up a, a, a terrible Doge. A meme coin. coin. A meme coin, indeed. My goodness. Thank goodness it's Easter and there's a long weekend. Uh, yeah, I'm going to need it to recover from the new cycle of this week. Um, from ourselves here at Hypertix, though, we wish you a fantastic long weekend here in South Africa. Um, don't overdose on too many good things. Um, chocolate eggs. Chocolate eggs. Yeah, travel yeah. safely, please. Uh, if you do find yourself on the couch with a box of those uh, those marshmallow chocolate eggs, just walk. get up and walk. Just get up <laughs> and walk away from it. Trust me on this. I've been there, folks. You, you can get away. Um, but from myself, Brendan Lodge, cheerio from uh, Rob Nichetti. Take care, everyone. And from Louis Monzon. Happy Easter, everybody. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.